Amen. You're supposed to say amen after I pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that we can have fun, that we can have conversation, that this is a living room and not, a, and not just a school, that you've provided this place to gather together, to be heard, and to hear your word, to eat pancakes and build relationships. Um, I pray that you would help us to build strong relationships with each other before we need them, because we're all going to get to a place where we need them. And I pray, God, that you would help us to build relationships with our neighbors. And as a church, our neighbors are the, 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 the community of Lamita. But as a church, we have neighbors everywhere we live, everywhere we work, everywhere we do life. And so as this church being a, a neighborhood church, this isn't the only neighborhood we represent. We represent every neighborhood and every, every place that we live. And I pray that you would help us to figure out how to live like kingdom people in, in the context that you've put us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're digging into uh, uh, now towards the end of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's a, it's a sermon that, that Jesus preaches to probably over 500 or more uh, Jewish people. He's up on a mountain, so it's famously called the Sermon on the Mount, or Sermon on the Mountain. That's why. And we've been digging through it. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. We're now in the last chapter, chapter 7, um, and, we're, and we're about halfway through. we got a couple more weeks, and then in September we're going to start uh, a, pass, or a, a, a series through the book of Colossians. So we're really excited about that. But as we're journeying, journeying through this passage today, there's many famous um, pieces in the Sermon on the Mount that m- most of us have heard. Probably today is the, the, the most famous one often called the golden rule you guys have probably heard that thanks my friend that was an object lesson just that's the kind of people we want to be who help out their pastor and their neighbor awesome i love it matthew chapter five um just to kind of recapitulate a little bit here big word for uh not for a public school kid um we we starts off with uh with the beatitudes which is uh, uh basically um Statements of blessings. The Greek word is makarios. It means way more than happy or blessed like we think of it. We think we're blessed when good things happen. And yet Jesus teaches us nine things that are makarios. They're, they're, what, they're what make life important. They're what matter most in life. Um, we have commercials that are constantly bombarding us and saying, this is what you need. And yet Jesus is so countercultural, so counterintuitive, so counter the market, right? I, he's saying, no, what, 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 what's truly Makarios is what he talks about in Matthew 5. I won't read it again. We, we spent many weeks on that. But he's saying it's countercultural, what matters most in life. And then he talks about deeper things like things that we all have dealt with, like divorce and, and adultery and these just hard things that, that are true. And he's saying the root of these things are much deeper. They come from our heart. They come from things like, like, like not checking your eyes and, 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 and not dealing with your anger properly and not dealing with the deeper things. Those start to express themselves in a lot of painful ways. And so he kind of handles that. And then we get into chapter uh, 6, and he's talking about how we do the religious things that we do, right? How you pray is important. Why you do what you do is incredibly important. It's not just about checking off the boxes, right? How you give, 
how you pray, how you fast. And then and he closes off the chapter talking about probably the two things. Now, this is before you had um, uh, organized psychology, and, and Jesus understands humanity perfectly. And so he says there's two main things that drive us, motivate us, good, bad, or indifferent. And the two things are this, what you treasure most. And Jesus said at one point, what, what you treasure shows what's in your heart. What you treasure most, right? How many of you guys have ever been motivated towards a goal? It's because you, you've, you've said there's a treasure at the end of that goal. Worth fighting for. Worth working for, right? What you treasure really sets the trajectory of your life. And there's one more thing. What you fear. What you fear will control you sometimes, right? And so he says what you treasure matters, what you fear, how you deal with that anxiety, that matters. And we get into chapter 7, and he goes, don't judge, right? And the word, Greek word is krino. And it's interesting passage. We often will say that, don't judge me, right? But he, he gives this balanced view of not judging in, in one sense, but he also says you have to be discerning in the same passage. We need to be able to figure out what's right and what's wrong. There needs to be discernment, and that's not judgment. So I would say it like this. It's not judgmental in the way that he's saying in the negative way that we're not supposed to be. It's not judgmental when you can look at a situation and say, you know what, that is messed up, right? It's easy for us to do that with things like 9-11, but there's, it's okay to go, that is not right. That's messed up. When it becomes judgmental is when we say, we forget, I'm messed up too. We're all messed up. And so I can't condemn you in this judgmental way because of your mess. We need to get in this mess together, realize we're all messy. That's how we become not judgmental. We don't crino in the wrong way, judge in the wrong way. And then last week we look at this idea of prayer, of praying like God is good, that God is good. And when we pray, we, we ask and we seek and we knock and he always answers. But there's tension in that, right? Because it all doesn't always work out the way we wanted it to. And so we're left with this tension we dealt with that last week. And you can go back and listen to all these things on podcasts. And then in the next few weeks, we're going to look at, he's going to say there's one way to enter into the kingdom. There's one gate, and it's Jesus. And he's going to say we should build our life on that foundation. And then he's going to end with saying they recognize that he was the king. He was in authority, that Jesus was in authority. In between all of that is Matthew seven twelve, And he says this says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. We're going we're gonna to tackle this one verse today. The golden rule, or what I would call the golden guideline. And you got to remember, Jesus is preaching to 5,000 Jewish people on this mountain who are just starting to follow him, just trying to figure out what it looks like to walk in this new kingdom that he's proclaiming and he's giving all of this lesson and these Jewish people had a context that they would have heard this in and the first piece was that back in the day the way that the Jewish culture the way that their minds were shaped was by the Torah the Old Testament law and by the rabbis and how they interpreted the Torah and they would often dialogue about this they would get into the synagogue and they would talk about how do we apply the Torah right there's a story famous story now about a, 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 a one generation before Jesus, there was two main rabbis that everybody picked and chose who they, who they followed. It was Rabbi Shammai and Rab, Rabbi Hillel. 
Shammai was much more conservative. Hillel was much more popular. Hillel had one star pupil. His name was Gamaliel. If you ever read through the book of Acts, you would know that Paul, the apostle Paul, was mentored by Gamaliel. That was one of the things in Galatians, actually, too, that he, he proclaims. He, he was from that line, right? This was very, very, uh, 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 like, culture-shaping. Which, which, which side of the, of, the, of the Jewish fence are you on? Are you a Shammai guy? Are you a Hillel guy, right? And, and so there's a story that one time uh, a, a non-believer comes in to the, to the synagogue, and Hillel and Shammai are debating with their rabbis, and he comes up to Shammai first, and he goes, Rabbi, I will follow you if you can stand on one foot and recite the whole law. Shammai, being this conservative guy, takes his ruler that he often taught with, and he pushes the guy aside and says, I don't have time for you. So then he goes to Hillel, and he says, Hillel, if you can stand on one foot and preach the whole Torah, then I'll follow you. Hillel goes like this. Anything that you wouldn't want someone to do to you, don't do to them. This is the whole law. Now go learn. That was his way of saying, now you got to go apply it, right? That's, that's the context these Jewish peoples would have debated about. Don't, don't do anything to anybody that you wouldn't want them do, to do to you. That makes sense, right? It's a, it's a good rule. We would tell our kids, like, I have, I have a sister, and when we would get in fights, you know, like, like she would hit me, usually instigator, right? <laughs> the angel would get in trouble, right? And, my, and my, my, my parents would often look at this and my, you know, or we hit each other or whatever and go, what, what did you want me to do? Do you want her to hit you back, right? Don't do anything to her that you wouldn't want done to you. It's a good rule. You've got to think about this. Jesus flips it so beautifully and rather than say, don't stop at just not doing what you don't want people to do to you, take it a step further and proactively do to others what you would want them to do to you. It's next level. They hadn't heard this before. This was a new teaching building on a beautiful old teaching. And so that's part of what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, and I say this with our men's ministry all the time, when I'm looking for men's leaders, not every man in this church knows a lot of Bible verses. But the guys that I'm looking for to lead are not guys, and I love it when you know a lot of Bible verses. That's great. But I'm not honestly looking for guys who know a lot of Bible verses. I'm looking for guys who are doing what they know. Most of our problem isn't that we don't know enough. Most of our problem is we don't do the basic, simple things that we already know. So Jesus is saying, if you ever get lost and you don't know what to do, here's a guiding principle. Just do unto others what you would want done to you. This is the whole law in the Torah. If you were to do all of those things, you probably wouldn't break any of the rules, laws, Torah, right? If you could just do that. The problem is we don't do that perfectly. But one thing stands out to me as I read this, Matthew seven twelve. So whatever you wish that others would do to you. The Jewish people would have heard this a certain way. Well, I'm... I, I come from a generation, Gen X, where the word whatever means I don't care, right? The, the word whatever means apathy to me. Like, you know, they go, hey, uh, Forrest, what do you want to do after church today? Whatever, right? 
Like, you, uh, uh, this bothers you, whatever, you know, like, whatever means, like, I'm apathetic in my generation. And that is so not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not using this term, whatever, like, oh, whatever, if you feel like it. He actually uses a very powerful Greek word, panta. The word panta means in everything. It's all-encompassing. It's complete every aspect. In other words, he's saying, in every aspect of your life, in every place, do unto others what you would want done to you. Not just when it's convenient, not just if, if you should happen to whatever, stumble upon it, but he's saying we're supposed to be the type of people that look at every circumstance, every place on this planet, every single person, every single, every panta, and we're supposed to apply this. And that's deep. It's a lot deeper than we first hear it if we're Gen X. So I want to just walk through three things this morning. Uh, it's a simple teaching, but I think applying it causes us to allow it to reach our hearts and not just our sensibilities. And the first thing in your notes is this. Jesus is te teaching us to intentionally do good to others. Not just if you should happen to stumble upon it, but to be intentional about doing good to others. A couple practical ways that we can do that is first, we can think the best of people. You can intentionally do good to others when you think the best of people. How many of you guys want people to think the best of you? How many of you guys have ever had people judge you in the way that they kind of judged the book before they even knew you? You don't even know me, right? Ever been there? It happens, right? Think the best of people. How many of you guys have ever had somebody cut you off in traffic? How many of you guys went like this? Everybody pull to the left. They're trying to go somewhere. They really need to get by. And you just assume the best of them. Maybe their wife's pregnant and they're on the way to the hospital and I'm in the way. Or how many of you guys tell them they're number one? And you start honking and you drive and you try. You cut me off. Watch this. My car's faster than you. I'm going to cut you off. And you didn't even need to, right? I mean, I'm just confessing here. Like I do that sometimes, <laughs> right? But what if we thought the best of people? What if, what if this, how many of you guys, this is your way of viewing people. Mean people act mean because they are mean. Somebody honest. Thank you, right? I love it, right? It's not hard. You're, I'm talking, I'm telling you, I went to Toledo. It's a public school. Not, not that smart, right? It's simple, simple stuff. When someone's mean, it's because they're mean. But is that really true? Or do we ever take the time to go, nope, maybe that person is mean because a lot of people were mean to them. Because no one's really loved them. Because they're hurt. And so Jesus teaches us to think the best of people. And we'll talk about this a little bit more. And it means that we, we don't just see things on the surface. And when Jesus taught us not to crino in a negative way, one of the remedies is, is not to judge from the outside. But if you want to really make a difference, you need to build a relationship with them. You need to get on the inside and understand who they are, where they came from, where they're going. If you don't have the time to do that, then guess what you got to do? Just assume the best. The reason why they're cutting me off is because they're in a hurry for a good reason. And you cheer on them. Yeah, I hope you make it, right? I never do that. 
I want to start doing that. Right? And then the second one is this. Be kind to them. Be kind to them. Seems simple, right? And yet it's so profound that our words and our actions are so powerful. Be kind to them. Is, 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 how many of you guys have ever realized and, and just like you, you met somebody, maybe you went to Starbucks or you went to wherever it is that you went, and they were like over-the-top kind, not just nice, like surfacy nice, but like genuinely kind, and you just walked away like in a better place than when you walked in. Kindness is powerful. Kindness in words and in actions is so powerful. What if we were intentionally like that? What if on Monday we woke up and we thought, I just am going to be looking intentionally for opportunities to be kind to people this morning, rather than, oh, I hate Monday, right? What if we were intentional about this Penta mission? And then letter C in your notes is this, to be generous to them. Now, biblically, the idea of generosity comes like this. It's recognizing that everything that you have is from God. Everything that you have is from God, and so now I'm open-handed with it. So now I'm not, uh, I'm not somebody who's protecting my stuff. My job is to steward what God has given to me. Everything God's given me is a gift, and I'm going to be open-handed, generous with that. If they need it, they can have it, right? It's not mine to hold on to. It's mine to steward and to figure out what to do with to bless, bless others. That's generosity. Typically, we think about this with money, right? Like, be generous with money. And that is one way, to be generous. But what about, how many of you guys have so much time on your hands this summer, you're just like, I'm so bored, I don't have, know what to do with my time, right? There you go, one honesty. You can come over and mow my lawn this morning, okay? <laughs> but most of us, we just don't have enough time to do all the things that we feel like we need to do. To, so, so anytime there's an opportunity, come to service Saturday, well, I can't do anything more, right? No, but to be generous with your time, what would that look like? To be generous with your time, to be generous with your finances, to be generous with your stuff, and to be generous with your passion. I realize this, that I only have so much passion to put into, to to really honestly care about certain things and to invest in things. You have to manage your passion wisely, just like you have to manage your time wisely just like you got to manage your resources wisely. But in all of that, would you describe your process as generous? Because that's what I think he's calling us to do. Be generous to people. It's a way of life, not just one thing you do one time. And then number two in your notes is this. If we're going to really do this in a panta way in everything, if we're going to really treat people like we would want to be treated, then we're going to need to learn to walk a mile in their shoes. I know that's cliche, bumper sticker, but I think it's lasted all of this time because there's some truth to it. Do you walk a mile in their shoes? In other words, when you drive by somebody who's homeless and they're asking for a dollar, do you assume if I give them a dollar, they're going to go buy alcohol? So I'm not going to give them a dollar. They might. I'm not saying that it's a complex issue. Do you ever put yourself in their shoes? Do you ever say, what if I was homeless? What would I want people to do? 
Would I want them to just give me a dollar? I don't know. I, I sure would like it if every once in a while someone stopped and cared and was willing to hear my story. I work around homelessness non, almost nonstop. I work in downtown Santa Ana as a firefighter paramedic, Skid Row area. I'm around homeless people all the time. And here's some statistics that I know. How many of you guys, what percentage would you say of, of homeless people are on um, uh, illegal drugs? Do you think it's 50%, 75%, or 85%? It's one of, it is one of those. 85%. 85% of homeless people are on illegal using illegal drugs. Now here's here's the deeper. This that's a surface that's a surface knowledge. Here here's a deeper thing that you probably don't know. What percentage of those 85% are are on are homeless because of their drug use? It's very small. Most of those 85%, if you really got to know their story, they became homeless for a completely other reason. And they started using drugs because of the community that and the hardness of being homeless. Did you know that? How, how do you unravel that? How do you fix that? Or do we just ignore it? Because Panta, to me, seems to indicate that you can't ignore it. That you have to do unto others what, what you would want done to you. And that means... Handing a dollar isn't even scratching the surface. Getting to know their story is, is important. And if you're going like, okay, how do I do that? I honestly don't know. I'm just saying, I want to admit that I don't know, but that I want to. <laughs> that I want to care. I want to be those types of people. To walk a mile in their shoes. And there's three things that I've learned about walking a mile in people's shoes that I want to share with you. And there could be more. This would be a discussion that could go on Brother, I can learn from you as much as you could learn from me this morning. But here's three things that I've learned. And then letter A is this. Dignity speaks of a person's worth. Most homeless people, you know what they need more than a sandwich? They need dignity. And what dignity is, it's worth. When you get to know someone's name, it's powerful. When you get to know their story, it's more powerful. When you get to a place where you're sharing each other's stories, that's genius. There's a ministry in downtown Santa Ana, a, church, a huge church in, um, in Orange County. Um, they do all kinds of huge things and, and very, very big, but they do one thing that I respect more than anything else. Every Thursday night, there's a group of eight guys, and they go down to the, the Union Rescue Mission, or the, I'm sorry, the Salvation Army Men's House, in Santa Ana. You know what they do? It's profound. There's no way we could pull it off. We're not brilliant enough. They bring checkers, and they sit down, and they play checkers with them every Thursday night. You talk to the guys who live in that house, they say it's the highlight of their week. And here's the thing that I learned because I went on a call not too long ago is, you know what's the highlight of their week? Is not that the homeless people are able to share their story with these eight guys, the highlight of their week is that all the homeless people know those eight guys. They know their families. They're asking them, how's your wife? She's going through cancer. They love the fact that there's dignity in the fact that they're willing to share their lives with them. To me, that's so beautiful and powerful. I'd quit this if I could just go do that. 
I'd rather do church with eight people who are willing to sit down with homeless people. And yet God's called us to do this. And I want this group of people to be more like that. You guys want to be more like that? So I think that's what Jesus is calling us to in this simple one verse. Dignity speaks of a person's worth. And empathy, empathy makes you feel heard and understood. Empathy is getting to know people's story and trying to understand from their perspective. Walk a mile in a person's shoes. How many of you guys like to be heard? How many of you guys have ever done this? And this is confession time for Kenny. How many of, how many of you guys listen like this? I'm listening to you because I want to know when there's going to be a break in your voice so I could say what I want to say. Sometimes I listen that way. That's not listening. But when we listen and when people feel heard and they, and they understand you've, you've put yourself in their place and you understand. You might not agree with them, but you understand where they're coming from. You've heard them. That's powerful. That's empathy. People want to be heard. People want to be given dignity. And then letter C is this. Charity is going above and beyond the norm. Now, here's the thing about charity. If you were to read from the King James Version and read the whole New Testament, you would realize that almost every time when it's talking about active love, it uses the word charity. Did you know one of the fruits of the Spirit is charity in the King James Version? Not love, charity. And the reason is, is because when we say the word love, we have so many different meanings, right? I love popcorn, I love my wife, I love Jesus. Probably not in that order, <laughs> right? When I say love, I love my wife a lot more than I love popcorn, and I love popcorn. But I love my wife more. See, so it's like love, what do you mean by love? I love that, I love that movie. Oh, really? I love that, right? But does, en enough to do something about it, that's charity. When you love enough to do something about it, that's when it becomes charity. It's more powerful. So charity is active love. We think the opposite, a, 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 a synonym for charity in our day, the way that we treat it is pity. It's not what charity means. A synonym for charity is supposed to be love in action, not pity. We don't pity people. Charity shouldn't be something that we give to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. I want to bring balance in my life, and I want to be generous. Here's $1,000 to this charity, right? Or you, you're, you get famous, and you go on a show, and you win an award. Oh, I'm going to give it to charity, though, right? Awesome. If I'm a charity, and you want to do that, God bless you, right? Because we'll use that money for good. But as a heart issue, it's got to be so much more than that. It's got to be charity's got to be do unto others in a panta way what you would want done to you. And it's going above and beyond the norm. Faith, hope, and charity. That's what the Bible teaches us. It's faith, hope, and charity. These are the things that the Apostle Paul is teaching us are foundational for Makarios, for living like Jesus wants us to live. And then number three in your notes is this, that it involves treating them better than they deserve. And I didn't have enough time, uh, space in my notes, but I would say it, it's better like this. Treat them better than you think they deserve. Because they, they deserve more than you think, probably. But treat people better than you think they deserve. Did Jesus treat us better than we deserve? 
so much better. We call that word what? It starts with a G and ends grace, right? Be gracious. Treat people better than they deserve. And then biblically, what, one of the things that we've been unpacking is this in letter A. Biblical justice means reorienting back to the way God intended. Biblical justice, you know, we learn in the Sermon on the Mount, is not an eye for an eye. That's our sense of justice. Someone wrongs me. I can wrong them equally in that amount, right? An eye for an eye. And he's saying that does not reorient people back to the way God intended them to be. When somebody wrongs me and I retaliate, how are they reoriented? They aren't. There's no biblical justice. As a matter of fact, when they wrong me and I retaliate with love, it just might happen that God might use you in that place to touch their heart in such a way that it reorients them back to the way God intended them to be. So biblical justice is not an eye for an eye. It's when someone punches you, give them the other cheek. When someone steals from you, you give them more. Why? Because biblical justice reorients people back to the way God intended them to be. It doesn't pay them back the way you think they deserve. We treat people better than we think they deserve. And then letter B is this, that preemptive love is a game changer. How many of you guys would say you're more responsive love? Well, let's put it like this. You probably would all answer, not know what to answer. But how many of you guys find it easier to give, you find it easy to give gifts to people that you love? It's easy to give gifts to people I love. How many of you find it easy to give gifts to people who hate you? You don't, right? How many of you guys find it easy to be nice to people who are nice to you? How many of you guys find it easy to be nice to people who are being mean to you? I don't. I'm raising my hand just as a sample to show you what to do if you're not like me, I guess, right? The the reality is, is none of us, none of us, that's not natural. But what he's saying is that he wants you to be supernatural. And he wants you to be preemptive in love. Don't, be, don't just love people when they love you. You love them first. If they're mean to you, you love them. One more word I want to teach you guys. You probably already know it, but there's a biblical word that I love. It's the word steadfast. You guys know what the word steadfast is? It's the Christian word for stud. Steadfast is the Christian word for stud. The picture that you would have is a huge oak tree with deep roots that could not be moved. In the Old Testament, Isaiah talks about it that way. An un, a, 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 like a righteous oak, right? That can't be moved. It's steadfast. Steadfast means that you do what you do because you do what you do. Steadfast means I'm not going to be moved to react negatively no matter what people do to me or what people don't do for me. Sometimes we have expectations. They should have done this for me, and then they don't, and then we react. Steadfast is somebody who does what's right no matter what the circumstances are. This is the, this is the idea of preemptive love, that I am going to love regardless of what you do. You're going to wrong me. How am I going to respond? I'm going to love you. If, you're, if, you, if you do love me, how am I going to respond? I'm going to love you. If you ignore me, how am I going to respond? I'm going to love you. If you try to hide from me, how, what am I going to do? I'm going to love you. Not in a, in a weird, clingy way, right? You're gotta, you have to have some 
some like emotional intelligence too. We talked about that a few weeks ago, right? But, but, but how can I be someone who is a preemptive love? I love first. Can you guys think of any Bible verses where somebody taught us what it looks like to love first? Oh yeah, Bible says this. This is the definition of love. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The perfect preemptive love. His preemptive love. How many of Jesus' preemptive love has changed your life? How many of you know God wants to use preemptive love from you to change other people's lives? Preemptive love is a game changer. And he's called us to it. And then letter C is this. We're going to start with our neighbors. We're going to start with our neighbors. We'll have a the worship team come back up. And I want to share with you guys, I wasn't planning on this, but during the first service, God just reminded me of something. We're going to be five years as a church in September. Um, I didn't want to be a pastor. Sometimes I still don't, but I'm, I'm willing to. And um, <laughs> honest. Um, when people started calling me Pastor Kenny, I was like, just call me Kenny. And then I just started realizing, like, they're just going to do it anyway, so just deal with it, right? It's my pride. But, but as, we were, as we were thinking, like, God was really putting it on our heart, we're going to plant this church. And I remember very clearly the moment I said, yes, I will do it. I just remember very clearly, yes, I will do it. And then it was followed by me freaking out completely and realizing I do not know what I'm doing. And I remember having this conversation with God. I said, God you got to give me a Bible verse that helps me get through this because that's never happened to me, but I've heard other people tell me stories, and you always give Bible verses that help people get through all the hard times. I want one of those. And I remember it's the only time it's ever happened to me. It just in my head, it wasn't an audible voice. It was weird, but not too, too weird. And I just heard Luke 14. Luke 14. So I opened it up, and, 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 it, and it didn't go right to the, the beginning of Luke 14, but right at the top of the page, it started with uh, verse 12. And so that, that was just, I just read that. This is what it says. This was, this was God's inter- encouragement to me of what kind of church I want you to plant. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. I invited my family and my mom, so I, I broke that rule, sorry. But I don't think that's what he meant or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. I really believe that God has called us to be a neighborhood church. I don't think that's perfect language, though. It's my best way of saying it. We were having a conversation on our staff and our worship pastor tim who's awesome said it like this he goes i feel like we're more of a love your neighbor church and i thought yeah that's that's totally that's probably a better way of saying it we're a love your neighbor church but what that looks like for me is that we believe god put us on this earth as a church in this city 1.9 square miles called lamita and that as a church we're not allowed to to neglect our neighbors because they're harder to reach. We're not, a, we're not allowed to open up the nets and say, we're going to try to reach a thousand people by just opening big nets. We're going to get to know their names. We're going to love this city. We're going to bless this city. 
we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to recognize that this church is neighbors in this city. And it doesn't stop there. One of the arguments and the pushback, again, I get it, is like a lot of the people that come here don't live in this city. I love that. I'm not saying we want to kick everyone out and, and only have people from Lamita. That's not at all what I mean. What I mean is that we're a model as a church loving our city. And then you go back to Redondo Beach, and guess what? You have neighbors. Love them. Reach them. And then you go to soccer games. Love them. And you go to work in wherever, El Segundo, I go Santa Ana. Love them. Right? Being a neighborhood church is about loving the people that God puts in your life. And as a church, we are in Lamita. And so when we do service projects, yes, we target Lamita. But also, guess what I want you guys to do? Don't, we're not going to have a Christmas party this year. You know what I want you guys to do? Have a Christmas party on your block. One of the things we're trying to do, or I'm tr- want, I want to do, is before the end of this summer, I want to have a block party in my neighborhood in the, my front yard. Because I always have them in my backyard, right? Then no one's invited. On my front yard. I want to invite all my neighbors. I have beautiful neighbors that I love, right? Most of them don't go to church. Maybe they may never go here. They might come into my front yard. Because I want to love my neighbors, right? And I want us all to do that. This Thanksgiving in November, one of the things I'm trying to push, and I need some leaders, so if this is something that you want to do, is I want to rent out the VFW. And the day before Thanksgiving, I, wanna, I want you guys to bring your best Thanksgiving stuff. You're like a potluck. And I just want to open it up, just like in, in Luke 14. Just in, How are we going to get the word out? We're not going to put it in the newspaper. We're going to invite people personally. And I don't mean me. Well, I do mean me, but I mean all of us. I mean, you bring people to this Thanksgiving feast, not because they don't have food to eat. Maybe if they don't have food to eat, yeah. But what if they just, if they just need friendship? If they just need someone to know them, if they just need love, that's going to be the whole point. Just invite people. Anybody that you know who needs a place to be, invite them. Invite everybody. Let them figure out whether they want to come, right? That's what he says. He says, invite everybody. The way the story ends in Luke 14 it's kind of interesting when, when Jesus is trying to encourage me is the story is that they get this huge banquet ready. And then once the banquet's ready, he sends all of his messengers out and he says, now go tell everyone the party's ready. And, and they go out and it says one by one, everyone gave excuses why they couldn't come. So he comes back to the master and the master says, well, go to the lowliest places. Go to the places no one else is going. Go to the places where everyone's marginalized and invite them. Everyone's welcome in God's kingdom. And we have this message of an invitation that he sent us out. And it starts with being people who intentionally, in a very panta way, are going to just treat people the way we want to be treated. I'm going to worship i mean i'm going to pray and then we're going to we're going to lead into a time of, of worship and then we're going to we're going to lead into a time of communion where we're going to talk about the fact that god has invited us to his banquet through the blood of jesus let's pray and let's worship heavenly father i thank you for this wonderful uh bible verse one verse so powerful so central so almost everything <laughs> other than the news that 
that you remove our shame and our sin through the blood of Jesus. What it looks like to be kingdom people could be so simple. Just treat other people the way you want to be treated. I thank you for this simple guideline. I thank you for speaking to our hearts in different ways this morning, each of us. I pray that the seeds that you planted in our hearts, the thoughts that you've brought us to, the the things that you're unpacking for us, the the things some of us have have gotten little uh, 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 nudges from you that that, that there's somebody who you want us to reach out to, that there's something that you're calling us to do. And some of us are just wanting to come to you and say, God, we want to be more like that. What do you want us to do? And we're just waiting to hear from you. But we want to be willing. Pray that you would make us willing. Pray that you would make us stewards of everything that you've given us, ready to give generously. Pray that you would make us kind. I pray that you would make us humble so that we can so that we can assume the best, that we can assume we're the, we're the worst sinner in the room. Now, when we see things that are messed up, we would always remember there's a story behind every mess. There's a story behind every messy person. And they're just waiting to be loved. You've sent us out to love those very people. We ask that you would help us. Amen.